Abram, go help. Hey, there he is. There he is. I probably don't need a whole microphone, but we're recording this. So um, I was going to say, you guys can all move up and we'll have a little, almost like a home Bible study here. Um, but hey, man, thanks for showing up and being part of uh, Thursday night tonight. Um, next week, we will be starting our summer series. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, this, the name of the series is Staying Focused. Um, it's going to be in Psalm 119. And I want to encourage you guys to read through Psalm 119. Some of the guys that are going to be teaching it, uh, they have a certain portion that they will be teaching. And so they're uh, feverishly, I'm sure, uh, reading their portion, but I've encouraged them to read the whole thing to make sure they, they're getting a good grasp of all of Psalm 119. It will be a 12-week series, so we will be there for a while until August. And so we'll be taking 12 weeks off from 1 Samuel. And so we are now, or we have gotten to about halfway through on 1 Samuel. We've been in it for a while. I'm trying to do a a, um, a chapter a week. It's not always happening, but sometimes we do more than that. We've done two chapters at times. But it just depends on what's going on in the chapters here. And so I'm hoping that when we get back to First Samuel, we'll pick it up in chapter 16, and then we'll go from there and see how long it takes us to finish it off. Um, <clears throat> like I said, we've gotten to halfway through in First Samuel, and we've seen several characters um, in this book thus far. <clears throat> we started off with Eli, if you weren't with us, or if you're not familiar with First Samuel. We started off with Eli and his sons, and Eli was the priest at the time, and his sons were the priests also. They were priests also, but they were very, very corrupt. It says that they were worthless, um, is what that word corrupt means, that they were worthless. And yet God still had them in that position, but it wouldn't be for, for long and because they got killed. And the next character that we see is, is Samuel. And Samuel we see early on, but he's just a kid. He's a child. And then he gets taken to, to the temple after about being weaned. And so he is a young boy as he goes and gets dedicated to the Lord. And the Lord receives him. And uh, his mom hands him over to be uh, raised up with Eli. And so as he comes on the scene, God raises him up to be a priest and to be a prophet of Israel. And so he kind of rules and kind of is the prophet. And they hadn't had a prophet for almost 400 years. And he comes on the scene and now God's speaking and in that time, the people of Israel, they want a king. They want to be just like every other nation. They, they want to fit in, kind of, you know. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting because here they have the God of Israel, the God of the universe, um, as their leader, and yet they want a man to rule and reign over them. And even though they wanted to be just like every other nation, they could never be just like every other nation because God would still be their God. But God gives them what they want, and he brings them this tall, choice, handsome man, the perfect man by the name of Saul. 
He is exactly what the people wanted, and he's exactly what the people want representing them as a king. He has it all going on. Outwardly, he looks amazing. I can imagine. I can't, I, you know, I, I can only imagine being tall. Um, but, um, and choice, you know, the handsome part, well, you know, two out of three isn't bad, but be that as it may. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you can only imagine this man that fit the bill for the people. And they were just so excited. But even though he had everything going on on the outside, he had nothing going on on the inside. He was very empty on the inside. And so this is what they wanted. And so he becomes the main character thus far. And then uh, we're introduced to his son, Jonathan. And, and, and what we see between these two guys is two characters. So we have all the characters fitting into the narrative. But now we have these two guys and their own personal character. They're their nature, their personalities. And even though we've only seen Jonathan a couple of times, we've gotten to know and we've gotten to see um, his character, his traits, his character traits, his, his, his qualities, and they're amazing. And, and one of the things that I, I was tripping on as I was looking at Jonathan is, here's a man that we want to exemplify. Here's a man that can be an example to us that whenever we're studying the Word and you need a good example in your life, study Jonathan. Look to that man. Because he had a heart for the Lord. He had a heart to do the right things and he walked in faith. And then, on the other hand, we, we've gotten to see his dad, his father. We've seen him many times, and even though he has done some things that are right, we've also gotten to see his character, his character flaws. <laughs> because we see more of his flaws than, than anything else, because that's the type of man he is. Now, if you ever want to really study what you should not be doing in your life, <laughs> study Saul. Go, go look at his life and see, see how he conducts himself and what he does in his life and say, what he does, I want to be the complete opposite of that. And I'm wondering if his son, Jonathan, you know, being raised in his home and seeing dad thinking, I don't want to be like my dad. I, I want to be somebody different. Because even tonight, as we go over chapter 15, we see... The same thing, his character flaws. He continues to do things that we just have to kind of look and shake our heads at. We don't see Jonathan in this story. I don't know where he was at because there is a battle involved and I don't know where he ended up at, but, but we don't see him tonight. Now, when, when we start talking about people who have these character flaws in their life, I know some people can come to their defense and say, well, you, they, they really can't help it. He is who he is, and that's all he is. So why would he, we expect anything else from him? And I know oftentimes we can get into that same situation where we understand who we are and, and how we've been brought up or, or our character traits, some good, some bad, some flaws in our life, and we say, well, we really can't help it. And so oftentimes we can, we, we can come to somebody's defense like a Saul and say, well, 
he can't help it. And I understand that for the most part. But here's the deal. He, he is in a place of authority. And, and, and being put in a place of authority, comes with that comes some responsibility. And you can't just be blaming everybody else when you're the one in authority. You know, for him, it wasn't the buck stops here. The buck stopped with everybody else except here. And so if you've been put in any kind of authority and you're thinking, well, thank God I'm not in authority. And it's like, no, you probably are somewhat, either in your home or in your job with other people, even in the church. <clears throat> with authority comes responsibility. And so even though he is who he is, now he's in a place of authority and he has to step up. And he also has the spirit of God in him and upon him. And to me, in my estimation, that changes everything. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter what your character traits were before. If the Spirit of God has come into your life, your character can be changed because you have a new nature within you. And so that's what, what I see about Saul, that even though the Spirit of God had come upon him, why is it that he continues to do the things that are wrong? See, one of the things about Christians, see, non-Christians, they, 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 they really can't help themselves. They is who they is, and that's all they is, right? Because they don't have another nature except their sin nature. But as Christians, we have that opportunity. Because we have Jesus in our life, there is a new nature that's in us. And then that's the battle that oftentimes we have. Do we want to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh? We have the opportunity to do that. And so when, when somebody says that they're a Christian, then there should be an expectation that comes with that, right? That there should be a difference in your life because you have a new nature. You don't have to walk according to your flesh. And so when I look at Saul's life, it's like, why do you continue to do the things you're doing? And part of it has to do because he's not spending that time seeking the Lord the way he should. He does things that are right in his own eyes. And he thinks, well, that's... That's right for me, so it must be right. And we'll see that even tonight. Chapter 15, verse 1. We'll cover the first 11 verses. It says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for, for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him in the, in the way when they came up, uh, up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. So Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, 
lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah um, all the way to Shar, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless they, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. The last time we saw Samuel was in chapter 13, when Samuel had come to chastise Saul once again. Because Saul had intruded on the priestly duties. He decided because Saul hadn't showed up that he should go and do the sacrifice, which he shouldn't have done. But he did. And once he did that, then he, he ended up getting chastised by Samuel when he came, telling him, why have you done this? And he says, it was the people. They, they forced me to do it. And then he said, well, it was your fault because you hadn't got here. And then he says, well, even the, the Philistines, man, they were upon us, and so we had to do this. And so he began to blame everybody else, and he always does this blame everybody else. He ends up being the victim, and everybody else is the perpetrators, and not him. And Samuel tells them, you have done foolishly. You have done foolishness here. Because you have crossed that line that you weren't supposed to cross. But he continues to blame people. And Samuel told them that because of this foolishness, he would not have a dynasty after that. None of his kids would become kings. His line would die with him. I, I truly believe that God wanted Saul to see. But Saul kept on doing things that were foolish and, and foolish and, 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 and God was going to take this kingdom away from him and he wasn't going to have a dynasty. Even though his family tried to keep it going on, it wasn't meant to be because of his foolishness, because he did not obey the Lord. There was consequences for not obeying the Lord. And here we see that God gives him another chance. In chapter 13, he says, you're not going to have a dynasty. It's going to end with you. And so God gives him another chance, and he sends Samuel over there to tell him what to do. He just wanted him to be obedient. He wanted him to, 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 to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. And so when Samuel meets up with Saul once again, Samuel reminds him once again, his position as king because there was a responsibility that came with that. And it almost seems that Saul did not understand that to its fullest. He did not take it as serious as he was supposed to take it. He understood the kingship, but I'm wondering if he liked all the perks, but he didn't really want to do what God was telling him to do. 
He wanted to do it his own way. And Samuel tells him in verse 1, you need to heed the voice of the words of the Lord. It would be one thing if, if Samuel would have told him, hey, heed the voice of the Lord and not told him what the voice of the Lord was. If he didn't give him the instructions of what God required of him, that would have been one thing if he would have said, hey, listen really hard for the voice of the Lord and then try and figure it out yourself. And let's just see what happens. Then, then Saul could have went out and did something and said, well, I thought this was the Lord. But obviously it wasn't. But that's not what he said. He says, heed the voice of the Lord. Here is the voice of the Lord. This is what the Lord is telling you to do. And he gives them specific instructions. It wasn't vague instructions. It wasn't like, you know, kind of mysterious kind of instructions. It was some direct, clear instructions. The word of God says this. Go and attack the uh, Amalekites. Go and take uh, Amalek and destroy him utterly, all of it. Utterly destroy everything. On, I mean, he could have used as many words as he possibly could, but he does use utterly destroy all, right? Utterly destroy all. That doesn't seem very hard to understand. And so he gives him these words, and that word he. Be attentive to what I'm telling you right now. Carefully consider. It literally means to hear, to listen, to obey. That's what that word heed emphasizes. Hear it, listen to it, obey it. Simple as that, right? And so he tells him what God wanted. He says, you, you, you need to go. I will punish Amalek for what he had done to Israel. Amalek was the grandson of Esau, Jacob's brother. So the Amalekites were descendants of Esau and relatives of Israel. So somehow they were related down through the generations. And their main territory was the southern part of Israel down by the Sinai Peninsula where it kind of goes down like this. That's where they were. It's all deserty part, but that's where they lived. And that's where they were at. And they had become bitter foes with Israel. And the main reason that God was against them was because of their attack against the children of Israel. When the children of Israel were leaving the wilderness or leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness, here you have two million plus people. So there's a big old caravan coming through. And what the Amalekites did, they waited until all these people passed through and they attacked the rear. They went after the the the, the weaker people that would be the slow, you know, movers, you know, maybe the old ladies and and, and, and the crippled people and the kids or, or whatever it was, but it was the people that were helpless in that sense. That's who they went after. That's who the, the Amalekites were. They were cowards, basically, because they didn't want to fight the people in the front. They wanted to go after the people in the back. And so God had never forgotten that. 
And so later on in Exodus chapter 17, Moses got Joshua together and he says, get yourself some people, let's go fight them. And so they go to fight them. And it's that story where, where they go and fight the Amalekites and, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur go up on the mountain and, and Moses says, whenever I lift up my hands, you guys will defeat them. But if my hands go down, then they will be defeating us. And so Aaron and Hur get beside him. They bring him a rock to sit on and then they hold his arms up so they can win this battle. That's the battle that he is talking about here. So they fought against them. And God had made it clear back then to the children of Israel that he would not forget what the Amalekites had done. And in Deuteronomy 25, uh, 17 through 19, God says this to the children of Israel, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way you were going out, coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at the rear, when you when uh, when they when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God, therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around all around, in the land which the Lord, your God, is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out of remembrance, of Am- Amalek, from under heaven you shall not forget. So in Deuteronomy, he tells them, I'm not going to forget this. I don't want you to forget this. So here in 1 Samuel 15, it is the day of reckoning. Some 400 years have passed. Get that. 400 years have passed from that incident. And now your time was up. It was time to go and destroy the Amalekites. And I would bet that everybody had forgotten this whole thing, especially, I'm sure the Amalekites weren't even thinking about this anymore, even though they continued to fight with Israel here and there. I could guarantee you that everybody had forgotten this, even though God had told the Israelites not to forget it. Because you see, God hadn't forgot about it. And you know, when when I think about that, I'm thinking, that was 400 years. 400 years ago, something happened, and God says, I will pay them back. I will take care of them one day. And years and years go by, and God says, now is the time. You see, now they had rest from all their enemies in one sense, and so now was the perfect time. And the instructions is, go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all. Now, that was a direct command from the Lord to utterly destroy all. Now, some would think that this is a pretty harsh judgment, a pretty harsh command from God, that they would go and attack and kill man, woman, child, infants, even nursing children. You think that's pretty harsh, don't you think? I mean, I can understand, you know, killing the, the men, but man, the women and, and everybody, even their animals, you want everything destroyed? You see, God had promised, had made a promise against them. And I would bet 400 years later, 
the Amalekites were the same kind of ruthless people they had been 400 years earlier. They were ruthless. And for 400 years, they continued to be a ruthless people. And now God wanted them or wanted judgment upon them. And again, you would think, man, that's pretty harsh. It's like, well, wait a minute. He's given them 400 years to change their tune. Don't tell me God's not patient. (laughs) God has showed mercy to those people. For 400 years, they had every opportunity to repent and change their ways and make friends with the children of Israel, but they never did. We see from from verse 33 that that they were still causing women to be childless. They were still killing people with the sword just because they were cowards. They would go after these kinds of people. God was pretty patient with them. And you see, there's times in the Old Testament that we see that God says, I want you to utterly destroy everybody. And there's a reason for that. Me and you can't quite comprehend it because we, we sometimes have a caring heart. It's like, why? Why would we be so mean? But it would be like having cancer and saying, well, you really don't want to take away all the cancer. Just leave some. I feel bad that they're going to have to make such a, a huge incision and take out so much of, of this cancer, we should just leave, well, let's just leave part of it. The little cells that are still growing, let them grow. Right? It's, it sounds almost foolish when we think of cancer, but that's what these people were. They were a cancer to the children of Israel, and they were going to destroy them if they possibly could. You know, as I was thinking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about what we're facing today in our world. People that are so ruthless, so ruthless that only death, they only understand death. And you think, well, but their families, poor families, and yet they're training their little kids to already be jihadists, to, to kill people. They're already training them, so it's almost like, I think we should just wipe out all of them, right? And you're going, gosh, that sounds so harsh. And it is. But you see, God understands people better than we understand. And God is merciful. He has allowed these people, even the the people that we're dealing with today, to survive for all these years. And if judgment came tomorrow, who's to say that God's unmerciful? If they know who they're killing because of their Christianity, it's not like they don't know. (laughs) They know what they're doing. I don't think we would hesitate to, to have to put down or kill a, a, a dog that had rabies and knew, and you knew that it would kill somebody and hurt somebody. You, you would be a hero if you've if you seen a ravenous dog running around and you went and took care of it. People are like, yay. But when we hear something like this, it's like, man, why would God be so harsh, man? But again, he's been giving them, he's given them 400 years. And so it was time to deal with them. And so from verses 4, from four and 6, we see that Paul, that Saul gathers the people together and he has a, a, some, uh, an army of 210,000 people. And they had enough to do the job and to finish the job. And they went to the, the Kenites and they said, hey, you get out of here be, be, before you get hurt. You see, you've been kind to the children of Israel. You've done what is right 
to the children of Israel. And so here we see again God's justice. He's not going to hurt somebody who has done good for his, his people, but he will go after the ones that have been evil to, this, to his people. So, so they spare the Kenites. And it reminded me when God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, thir- uh, 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. And so God doesn't play games with that. All those people that have come against Israel and continue to come against Israel, God will judge. He has to. If we see that 400 years later is nothing for him, he doesn't forget. He, he really does it. And, and, and because he hasn't brought judgment upon them right now, it's because of his mercy. Giving people time to repent. And so for verses uh, 7 through 11, we see the attack now takes place. And they go out to go do the mission that they were sent out to do. And what what I gleaned from this as I was looking at this, as I see how they're executing this plan, Proverbs came to mind, Proverbs 12 15 where it says the the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but he who heeds counsel is wise 12 uh, proverbs 21 2 where it says every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the lord weighs the heart and what i see here is that saul went out in his own eyes and did what he thought was right and he did not take heed to the voice of the lord which, utterly, which said, utterly destroy all. And he decided, well, let me just keep King Agag. Let me take him in. I've captured him. He will be like my little trophy that I take. And people will be happy because I've overcome that cat. I've taken care of that situation. And because he does that, the rest of the men, they decide, well, heck, I'm going to keep these nice sheep. I'm going to keep these, these things, these things that are good, the things that are worthless, I will, we'll get rid of them. We will utterly destroy all the stuff that is worthless. Is that what God said? No. He says, utterly destroy all, everything. You kind of have to ask yourself, what part of utterly destroy all did, did Saul not understand? This is one of those things that you just have to shake your head and go, Saul, what were you thinking, bro? What, what, what part of this did you not understand that God, because God couldn't have made it any more plain. And yet, somehow, in Saul's own eyes, he thought he was doing the right thing. It could be that he thought that God, and for that matter, Samuel, would be happy with him, that he had the foresight to save the best for the Lord, right? And I think oftentimes when, when, when the Lord tells us what to do and we partially obey but not all the way obey, it's the same thing as disobedience. Because we could say, well, well, I know what he said, but this seemed right in my own understanding. So I did it this way instead of that way fully. But I still did most of what God told me to do. Is it possible that that Saul, as the king, 
because he didn't obey the Lord that the rest of his people were not obeying the Lord. But it could be that maybe he's the only one that knew what was going on and he didn't tell everybody. So in that case, they were just doing what came natural. But he's the king. <laughs> he should have told them, here's the strategy, man. Here's the strategy that we're supposed to do. We're so, supposed to utterly destroy all. And all means all. And so we're going to destroy all. But as soon as he didn't obey the Lord, the rest of the people didn't obey the Lord. And I find it interesting that even in our own lives, those of us in authority, <laughs> could be parents, when we're saying, oh yes, God has said all these things and your kids are watching you do stuff. And they're going, I, I thought God said to do all of this. Yeah, yeah, well, we're trying to do all of that, but, you know, we can't do it all. We can just do part. And the kids catch that. And then they follow your lead. And then you get mad at them and say, why are my kids like this? Why are they doing these things? They're like, I don't know, maybe they saw mom and dad. Just like Saul. Saul partially obeyed. But he did what was right in his own eyes. Saul and the people spared those things that were good because they were unwilling. It's not that they couldn't. They were unwilling to do it. So they plainly just disobeyed on their part. And then it says in verse 10 and 11 that the word of the Lord came to Samuel. The Lord said, I, I greatly regret that I have set up Paul, Saul as king for he has turned his back or turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. It's an interesting verse. The word regret here means to sigh, to breathe strongly, by, by implication, to be sorry. <sighs> kind of like that. I, I, I truly believe that God wanted. Saul to succeed. He wanted the best for Israel, even if they were asking for a king. But it's almost like he took this deep sigh and say, he's just not listening. He's not doing what I've asked him to do. And so that, that is the word regret there. It's not like, oh man, I think I messed up because God doesn't mess up. He gave them what they wanted. But he was so and I guess I'll put it this way, it just pained him to know that Saul was not obeying him. And yet, after chance after chance, it pained him that he continued to be disobedient. And we see how much it pained God because we see how much it pained uh, Samuel. That he grieved so much over this that all night long, he was grieving and crying out to the Lord because I believe that Samuel, even though he wasn't tripping on how the people wanted a king, I believe he still wanted Saul to succeed. Why? Because he wanted Israel to succeed. And because of their disobedience, because of his disobedience, he hurt other people. And he hurt the heart of God because of his disobedience. And you know, I think of that and I think, man, I fear that God would ever sigh and say, I regret putting Zeke in that position. There's an arrogance that he has gotten now. It, it breaks my heart, man. It scares me. 
<clears throat> because I've seen many, <clears throat> gotten to that point in their lives that all of a sudden they're doing things that are right in their own eyes and not obeying the word of God. There's a song that we sing that we should, our hearts should break like God's heart breaks. I don't know. Probably didn't say it right. If I sing it, it might come out better, but I better not. Break my heart for what breaks yours or something like that is the, the words. That, that, that's, that's what we should be having, a heart that breaks when God's heart breaks. And that's where Samuel is at. His heart is broken because God's heart is broken over what this man is doing to Israel. In verses 12 to 23, it says, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed, he uh, set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, by, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we utterly destroyed. We have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not, uh, were, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of, of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, and the best things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord God in Gilgal. And Saul said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For, the re for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he also has rejected you from being king whoa what an interesting turn of events here as 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 he gets up early Saul Samuel gets up early to go look for 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 Saul there um he has a message to give him and I'm wondering if Saul sensed it and was trying to try he was trying to avoid 
seen Samuel and he had gone down to Carmel. It's not Carmel, Mount Carmel, which up north and by the sea up there. It's a, it's a smaller town down in the, in the, the valley or in the country, in the hills countries of, of Judah. It's down in the southern part of, of, Jerusalem, of uh, Israel there is that Carmel. And there he sets up a monument to himself. And this must have been quite a victory for Saul. He must have been so jazzed about how he commanded this whole operation that he went and he set up a monument for himself. Isn't that interesting? He thought, man, I am so good. Somebody should put a statue of me somewhere. I mean, he, he is the one that's putting the edict. That, Who's the statue maker? Make it of me. Get my best side. Put it out there. Make a monument for myself. See, this is how far Saul has gotten that it's not about the Lord. It's not the victory for the Lord. It's about uh, the victory for himself. And he goes and sets up his own little monument for himself. It's, it's a trophy, if you will, to honor himself. And from there, he went up to Gilgal. And there is where Samuel meets up with him. Now, I don't know how genuine this greeting is from Saul to Samuel. Where, where he says, you know, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. I don't know if he was like really nervous, knowing like, oh, geez, here it comes. And he didn't know what else to say. He just blurts this out to make it sound really good and holy and spiritual, right? <laughs> or he thinks that this is, he has just done the greatest thing ever. And is super excited to see him. I don't know which is which. After thinking of himself so highly to where he sets up a monument for himself, he becomes so spiritual afterwards. And he says, blessed are you of the Lord. Praise the Lord, brother. Samuel, hallelujah. And it's like, what a phony, man. You have disobeyed the Lord, and here you are. And I'm sure that, that Samuel had to say that phrase several times because Samuel is saying, what? I can't, I can't hear you. What? What did you just say? I can't hear you because I hear the sheep bleeding back here and the oxen lowing back, back here. I can't hear you over the noise of this plunder. You're telling me that you have performed the commandments of the Lord and how is it that I hear all this stuff back here? Come on! How is that possible? How can you tell me straight-faced I've done everything the Lord wants me to do? I've heard the word of the Lord and I've done it. And yet the evidence is saying something contrary, right? Saul is saying, I have perform the commandment of the Lord, and yet the evidence is in direct contradiction to the commandment of the Lord. And this is the way it sounds like today. (laughs) And if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. I know what the Bible says, and I prayed about it, and I'm going to do this anyways. Praise the Lord. I feel a peace about it. I really do. I feel so good about this decision. And you're looking at them going, but the word of God says this. Oh, I know, but I prayed about it. 
That's the way it sounds like today. It's just like Saul. He partially obeys. He obeys certain portions, but he doesn't obey all of it. And guys, I've, I've heard this way too many times when people are saying, I know that the, that, that the Lord says this. I know what God's word says. But yet, my heart is telling me to do this other thing because it makes me feel happy or it makes me feel good. Or I'm tired of this situation, so I'm getting out of that situation to go this situation. I know the Bible, I, I, I know, you don't have to tell me what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. And yet the evidence is so contrary. It's so contrary. And I know I may not be hearing the, 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 the bleeding sheep or the lowing of the oxen, but what I do hear is the family crying back here. The family's suffering back here. They're falling apart because people decide to go set up their own little monuments to themselves to make them feel good about themselves. And so they go and do their own little thing, contrary to what the Word of God says. But hey, man, they're in here going, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. Paul or Saul was, was, was playing this off like, no, it's all good. It's all good. And he says, it, it was actually the people that did this. I, I, I told them what they were supposed to do, but they, they have brought them to the Amalekites, uh, brought them from the Amalekites. They're the ones that spared the people the best. It was, it was the people that spared the sheep and the oxen. And, and it was for your God. And notice that he says, your God, not our God or my God. They did this for your God, Samuel. But we, he uses the word we, when, when we utterly destroyed everything else that we didn't want, <laughs> it wasn't profitable. Um, that was, I, I, I had a hand in that part there. And so once again, we see this character flaw that he blames everybody else for what everybody else is doing. And he takes full credit when he thinks, well, no, we utterly destroyed all these things. And it's interesting because it gets to the point where Samuel finally says, shut up. Just be quiet. Be quiet. Just stop. It's enough. Don't keep on going here. You're telling me that that you did exactly what God's word says, but the evidence is, is the opposite. Just knock it off. Just stop. And I love what he says in verse 17 because he reminds them, he says, when you were a little, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of all of Israel? When you didn't think too highly of yourself to go set up monuments for yourself, when you were humble, when you understood what it meant to be humble, man, God was pointed on to you. And you were sent to go do this mission. And I was specific. The Lord was specific in his mission. And he says, why did you disobey? And he gets to the point where he says, why did you do this evil? It's evil. And I can't believe that Samuel do, or that Saul does this. But I have obeyed. It's like, shut up. You're killing me, man. Are you serious? But see, that's where people get. Honestly, people, people will convince themselves 
because they're so tired of their situation or, or, or it's not going their way. And they're going, but I have been faithful. It's like if you were faithful, you, there would be evidence of that faithfulness. But you're not being faithful. You're telling me you're being faithful, but the evidence is not proving it. There's still people that are crying behind you. It shouldn't be happening that way. I could imagine that Samuel's heart was so broken and that Saul had not heeded the voice of the Lord and he had become disobedient and done this evil. And the fact that he didn't let up, he continues to like defend himself. Verses 22 and 23 are like some of the most amazing verses here. These are verses that should be etched ingrained in our hearts and minds because oftentimes we think that well if i only do these things god will be happy you know what god is happy with obedience obedience trumps everything you see you 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 can conjure up your own reality or 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 what is right in your own eyes and say well god should be happy with this no is it obedience to the word of god all the way Partial obedience is not obedience, guys. It really isn't. Taking portions of the scriptures and not taking all the scriptures is not obedience. And we see that way too many times in people's lives. I can't tell you how many people throw scripture at me and I'm just looking at them going, if you know that much scripture, you must know this other one, right? <laughs> you know, you must know the one about love one another, right? But you're not throwing that one out, <laughs> You're throwing this one, man. You memorized it, dog. You memorized it. But this other part that tells you to humble yourself, you're not memorizing. You're not going for that one. And it happens all too many times. Here's the interesting thing. Samuel, or no, it's not Samuel, Saul. In chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, when he is fallen on his sword to, because he had gotten wounded and he didn't want the uncircumcised to abuse him. And he falls on his sword and he doesn't die yet. <laughs> He's still alive. Some young man comes by and he tells him, kill me. <laughs> and so the young man kills him and he happened to be an Amalekite. An Amalekite killed him because he did not utterly destroy them. He ended up taking his, his life. Isn't that ironic? Because of his disobedience, an Amalekite ends up killing this kid or this man. Let's go on. Verses 24 to the end. <clears throat> then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Wait a minute. Didn't he just tell him earlier? I have obeyed the word of the Lord. I've done all of it. And he says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voices. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the, the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. 
As Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who was better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. And Samuel said, bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death has passed. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord and Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah and saw went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the, until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord, regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. When... <laughs> When Saul finally decides, okay, okay, I, I, I messed up. He asks for forgiveness, but it's almost like, okay, so I got busted. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I feared the people. I feared their voices. I, I, I obeyed the voice of the people. And I think, guys, this is where, again, as a leader, as somebody in, in authority like Saul, he had to make choices that would, would not always be popular with people. And I remember reading this, this book after becoming the senior pastor, and I read it in a whole different light. Because I remember reading this and I underlined it. It's like, I cannot fear the people. I cannot listen to 200, 300 voices and do what everybody wants me to do. I have to do what the Lord tells me to do. And sometimes it's not always going to be popular. And see, even in your own life, God has told you to do certain things in your life. And yet, because of fear of what other people would say, you change things and you become disobedient to the Lord because you fear the people. You can't. You can't fear the people and you can't heed their voices. When people are giving you bad counsel, man, depart from them. Go seek godly counsel. Oh, but they're people from the church. It's like, wait a minute. If they are not going according to the word of God, say, sorry, I can't, I can't receive that from you. That happens all the time because people let their emotions get, get the best of them and they're counseling people and they're, they're Christian people in this life, but you're not giving them the word. They say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them to be mad at me. Open rebuke is better than silent love, the, the, the Proverbs say. 
You cannot fear the people. And yet he plays this game with Samuel and says, okay, well, just pardon me because all the people are looking at him. If you walk away right now, they're going to think I messed up. But if you hang out with me, it's going to look good. And I don't know why Samuel decided to do it because he had already turned away from him and said, I can't, I can't hang out with you. And that's when he tore his garment and he took that opportunity because once you rip a, a priest's garment, that, that's, that's not good. You know, <laughs> that's just not like chill, man. I mean, these things, you just don't go to the Walmart and buy another, you know, thing, you know, another garment. It wasn't, I mean, it was, it was huge that his garment got torn, but he took the opportunity to say, the way you have torn this, God has torn this kingdom from you. And he's given it to a neighbor of yours. And, and, and he says this, one who is better than you. And I could guarantee you, Saul never forgot that phrase. One who is better than you. And that's why when, when David comes on the scene, he just doesn't like this cat. He does not like him. I could guarantee you it was because of this. Because he knew he was better than him in so many different ways. And so Saul, or Samuel, it says it turns back and they both worship together. And again, I don't understand why he did that, but he did. Maybe covering them. But I trip out on this part where Samuel says, hey, bring me the king. Come and give me a sword. And he hacks him. I love the word hack. He just hacked him in front of everybody. It's like he just got all ninja on him, man. Done. That's what you were supposed to do. Utterly destroy the Amalekites, because their sin. God, this is what God wanted from the people. I'll show you how to do it, Saul. And he had to do it himself. Never send a king to do what a priest should be doing. No, really. And so after that, they both go their separate ways. And what a sad ending for this. I truly believe that Samuel loved Saul. Even though it wasn't the way he wanted it to bring this man into his kingship, but he loved Saul and he wanted the best for him because he knew that if Saul did good, Israel did good. And Samuel had such a heart for the people, for the nation. And Saul didn't. It was all about him and looking good looking good in front of the people. It is a sad ending as we have to take a break for 12 weeks. But what we will see in chapter 16, and you can read ahead, is a whole new character coming on the scene. Somebody that God, God is going to have his hand upon him because he continues to love Israel. Oh, there will still be years of Saul's reign and, and, and David's going to be tormented in the middle of that, but all to the glory of God eventually. It really is. And so Saul and Samuel don't see each other until the very end. I don't know how to finish this tonight except like, oh, well, let's just pray. It's kind of sad. <laughs> After hacking a king up. It's like, 
Let's pray.